seems like the first question that, that gets asked when you know somebody's contemplating moving into town is, is, is what's available for internet. Welcome to episode 396 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. For eight communities in southwestern rural Minnesota, high-quality internet access isn't a problem as it is in other small towns. That's because Southwest Minnesota Broadband Services, or SMBS, is providing fast, affordable, reliable connectivity to residents and businesses. This week, Christopher visits with General Manager Travis Thies, who shares the story of the network and tells us more about some of their challenges and solutions. Travis describes the communities that SMBS serves and recounts the collaborative effort that resulted in the regional network. Now here's Christopher talking with Travis Thies from Southwest Minnesota Broadband Services. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, and for the second week in a row, talking to another guest from lovely Minnesota. This week we have Travis Thies on the show, who is the General Manager for Southwest Minnesota Broadband Services. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to to catch up on the network. I've been meaning to reach out to you, I don't know, ever since the network started. In some ways, I feel like I just cheated and, and would ask Dan Olson how things were going, and he would sort of um, give me the lay of the land, but it's been many years since I've even checked in. Um, so I'm really excited to to get a better sense of everything that's been happening uh, with your with your remarkable fiber network in southern Minnesota, southwestern Minnesota. Uh, but first, uh, for people who aren't familiar, what is southwest? Western Minnesota, like what does that region entail and what is it like? A lot of farming communities or a lot of farming, um, some small industry. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of the biggest makeup of our area. So let's, let's talk about how you got into the, the fiber game. How did Southwest uh, Broadband, which is uh, kind of the, the shorthand version of describing Southwest Minnesota Broadband Services, how did you get started? Sure. So Southwest Broadband is, is really a, a unique makeup. So back in 2010, we, we were fortunate enough that we had some local leaders um, throughout some of the communities that we served that, that really could see the writing on the wall with broadband and how important that was going to be um, in order for these communities down here in Southwest Minnesota to, to really thrive. What, what happened is, is back in 2010, um, we had seven municipal, municipalities in the area get together, form a joint powers and once that was formed, they basically developed a nonprofit organization, which is Southwest Minnesota Broadband Services, to provide broadband connectivity to eight rural communities. So we, so we serve eight rural communities, and of the organization, um, we're governed by a board of directors. And those, those board of directors consist of five of those seven original member cities. So we have seven cities together, all together, that, uh, that make up the nonprofit organization, and five of those are, are, are voting member cities. So, so that's how we're kind of governed. So, so you have uh, eight cities that you're connecting, or you know, towns, um, and five of them are, are those ones that that took more risk on the project, and that's why they're the voting members. Yeah. So five of those five of those communities were they actually contributed um, loan dollars into to making the company, you know, to help get the company off the ground and, and get started, and. Um, I, I get most of the most of the dollars that that came in and, and helped build the network back in 2010. Um, the federal government had the broadband initiatives program going on, and so we were able to capitalize on 
on our, our project was a $13 million project, half of that being grant dollars and then half of that being loan dollars. So um, that's where the where really the, where the dollars came to, to put this together and to do this build out and provide the connectivity to these communities. When you say communities, I, I do feel like people often think of Main Street and the blocks around there, but you're talking about um, you know communities that that may have a Main Street, but but also with all the farms around there. I mean, it's a wide radius around that you're talking about that you connect. Correct, correct. So not not only do we serve you know all the businesses and and the the the, uh, the homes within the communities, but we also have a 175 mile ring that connects all of these communities and we use that ring for redundancy purposes. Now we don't serve the entire county. We're across three separate counties. We don't serve all of those counties. Um, we do serve, you know, within about a quarter mile off of our, our fiber routes that go out through those communities. But one of the nice things that we've been able to do um, over the course of the last few years is we've been able to partner with a local wireless provider um, and, and that has just been huge for us and, and, and the folks in our area. Now, not only are we able to provide the high-speed internet connectivity to the, to the folks within those communities, but we're also able to reach out farther than what our fiber can get to. Um, so by partnering with that local wireless provider, we've been able to you know, provide those speeds to basically everybody across our you know, tri-county area. Now, tell me a little bit more about um, how you got this going, because I think um, the fact that Wyndham already had a, a municipal a broadband network that allowed you to use their NOC, I assume, uh, how did you interface with them? Well, that, that's a good question. So Wyndham was very, very um, influential as far as, as, as helping set up and, and kind of get the whole concept of Southwest Minnesota broadband services kind of on the radar. And matter of fact, um, I know that you've talked with Jan Dan Olson, uh, previous general manager of WyndhamNet. He was very um, instrumental in in the setup and and kind of getting everybody going. Um, WyndhamNet was, you know, they learned a lot when they did that, and that kind of helped um, provide all the stepping stones to to making Southwest Broadband happen. And Southwest Broadband was able to really capitalize on the use of of, of a lot of those. Um, high capital dollar items like the knock, um, the head end, um, things like that for, for video services and, and, and both data services. And so Southwest Broadband was able to, to save a lot of dollars and, and not have to make those initial investments and, and, and be able to utilize WyndhamNet to, to purchase those services and, and eventually pass down and, and offer through the Southwest Broadband network. And is that still how you work? Are you still really integrated with uh, Wyndham in the Network Operations Center? We still work fairly close with WyndhamNet. Um, we have went away, uh, and we, you know, we just we, we've gotten a little bit bigger, and we've been able to provide some of those services um, on our own now. So we work a lot with WyndhamNet in regards to voice services, um, data services. We've kind of converted over, and, and we've made some investments of our own, and so we're basically providing all of our own data services, all of our own connectivity to um, multiple data centers that get out to the rest of the world. So back in 2018, um, you know, prior to 2018, we, we really relied on WyndhamNet to provide all of the video services that we trans transported across, across our network to our customers throughout the communities that we serve. And we did that with an old legacy RF type of deployment. So 
um, prior to the build out of our communities, two of our two of our larger communities had their own standalone municipal cable TV systems, and those systems were both kind of reaching their life expectancy and and really needed to be replaced. So, the timing of Southwest Broadband coming into play was was really really beneficial as far as being able to to pick up on on where that was really going to leave off. And when we origi- when we first rolled this out. So this was really a, a data network is, is really what Southwest Broadband was, was meant to do was provide these data speeds, these high data speeds to these rural communities. But because of the makeup of our communities, you know, we have a lot of older demographic that, that really still, they, they want access to the linear TV and, and what we know as, as traditional cable TV, so to speak. Right. They, they don't want to deal with apps, right? They, they just want to be able to have a clicker and go to their watch the twins or whatever they want to watch. And they don't want to deal with a lot of the other stuff, I'm guessing. Exactly. Exactly. So now that Southwest Broadband, you know, we, we, we have the network put into place and we've got the best of the best in regards to a data network. We're still piping in an old RF video signal. So as the as the pricing and the content kept going up and up and up, we, we sat there and, and we struggled with trying to provide a better service and a better product. Well, it really didn't make any sense for us to continue throwing capital at at a service and a product that was that was declining in subscriber rates, you know, worldwide, right? So, you know, that's where we had to get really creative. We looked at, you know, what 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 do we do if we just completely get rid of video altogether? And because of that older demographic and, and there was still a lot of a lot of demand for that traditional TV service. We didn't feel like we could completely get rid of it. So um, that's when we really got creative and we looked out and we tried to find, figure out every option we could. And then finally we decided, you know, why not try to, in order to keep this, we're really going to have to probably stick with an app-based delivery type of system. So we, we partnered with another company and we were able to roll out a decent app-based delivery service and really harness the power of our data network in order to do it. And so we didn't have that big capital investment in going out and, and building a new TV head end or cable TV head end. Um, you know, we didn't have any of those. We were able to harness the power of the data network and, and really push that out. So towards the end of 2018, um, October, November timeframe is really where we completed converting all of our customers. And I think we were able to, we were able to, compl- to convert probably, we converted probably about 85% of our original cable TV customer base, which was really, really positive. And, you know, we expected to continually see those subscriber take rates probably decline, but really with, they've really, really maintained steady, which has really surprised us. So we don't know if that'll be a long-term thing uh, or a long-term offering, but it's filling the need right at this point in time and, and we'll see how it goes. Maybe it maybe it helps to uh, go for sports is doing a little bit better this year than they had in some previous years for football, especially. <laughs> well, that that definitely helps. It definitely helps. So, what what app did you end up using? We we rolled out a white labeled app and we we labeled it Southwest Stream. So we have it available to our customers. Our customers now one of the caveats is that we we cannot we have to offer it over a closed and private network. So you know we can only offer it to customers that have our internet service. So. Customer signs up with our internet service if they're if they're interested in our our streaming option. Um, they they basically load an app onto their Roku and we provide them with a set of credentials and they're allowed to to receive that content over that approved app and away they go. And it's yep. got a traditional cable TV type of look. 
guide, all that, some cloud-based DVR. I'm, I'm not too surprised to hear you say Roku because it does seem to be one of the more friendly ones for people who are not very high tech. Uh, oftentimes a, a very simple remote that they feel comfortable with and um, and off they go. Yeah, it really, you know, once it's up and running, it, it you know, it's really pretty trouble free. Um, the biggest the biggest hurdle that we had is, you know, helping assist folks that, you know, that weren't used to being able to, to run apps. And, and, you know, that just wasn't their thing. So trying to get them accustomed to understand you know, how to go in and how to set up a Roku account and how to go in and add a add an app or add a channel and then go in and, and be able to get that to connect to their Wi-Fi. And, you know, a lot of these folks were, were even folks that, that, that didn't have data subscriptions. So, you know, that was a big hurdle. Right. Well, their grandchildren, in, in many cases, I'm sure, are thanking you quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's de- that was definitely the case. <laughs> Let me ask you about uh, things that have changed in the area, because I, I suspect that not far from you, there are still many places that have, um, maybe they feel lucky to have DSL because there's other places that don't even have that. Um, you know, what has changed in your footprint that you can attribute to the network? Well, I think there's a lot of things that have changed as far as as far as economic growth, I know, you know, I can count on one hand um, a number of businesses that had contemplated moving out of the area uh, before we built our network because they they just didn't have access to the to the to the bandwidth that they needed to to sustain their businesses. Some of the other things that have changed is you know now we're starting to see people that maybe grew up in this area um, coming back to this area and and working from home. You know, they they're trying to get out of the big cities and. You know, they grew up in small towns, and and that's what they prefer. And and now they're able to come back to these small towns and and work from home based on their ability to have access to the speeds that we're able to provide. Do you find that uh, people who are in neighboring towns are choosing to come to a rival town, perhaps, because of those speeds? You know, I tell you what, it seems like, you know, the the first question that that gets asked when, when, uh, you know, somebody's contemplating moving into town is, is, is what's available for Internet. And I'm sure that's probably the case, getting to be the case in most areas across the country. It's really obvious that that that's that's the important piece, or one of the one of the most vital pieces of determining where you know where folks want to live. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure that the the local real estate agents are are happy to answer that in in your towns. We probably get four to five calls a week, you know, just inquiring of you know does this property have access to to broadband? Do they have a fiber line and um, if not, can they get it? What's it going to cost to get it? I mean, it, it really is a, it really becomes a bargaining tool when working on uh, housing prices. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like in um, the real estate agents aren't always that sophisticated in the more um, the metropolitan and suburban areas because they haven't had to worry about it as much. Um, but the, and I know that real estate agents have paid more attention to broadband, but knowing that they're actually calling you now directly to just get the 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 answers is interesting. Yes. So you described the challenge of uh, the switching the video product. Uh, have you have you encountered other challenges along the way? Not so much challenges, pr- probably just maybe growing pains. Uh, you know, when we built the network back in 2011, you know, we integrated a one gig ring um, that fed all of these eight communities that we serve. And for, you know, for the first two years, you know, we were, you know, we were very comfortable with that being enough bandwidth to, to serve um, all of these communities for all their bandwidth needs. And, you know, just today, you know, we're looking at February of, of 2020, you know, now we've, we've advanced that up to a 20 gig capacity ring. So it's just really amazing to see 
the growth and, and, and how much demand there is for broadband and how quickly that continues to advance. I suppose the biggest challenge would just be to continually staying ahead of those those demands and ahead of those needs so that we always have a, a sufficient amount of, of resources to be able to provide um, you know what our subscribers are going to need. I was just uh, I was just talking to someone in another state. I was talking about um, uh, a co-op that had built fiber out to a rural area, and how they were getting these remarkable take rates, and even more remarkable um, when this uh, this organization was planning on building the network um, was that the um, very large, uh, very disliked um, company that had been serving them before was only getting take rates of like twenty or thirty percent for their DSL product, and so they assumed. There wasn't much demand <laughs> when, in fact, there was a demand. It was just for a higher quality service. And uh, that's a roundabout way of, of sort of getting a, of asking you about how, how the take up has been. Have you, have you seen a lot of interest from um, the areas? Has it matched what you expected? You know, I think it's I think it's far succeeded uh, what we expected. You know, right now we're sitting at probably we're we're serving approximately seventy five percent of households across. Uh, <laughs> you know, as a whole, yeah, within good. these communities, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it, it's 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 excellent. And I mean, we get calls every day. The biggest problem that we have is is we're still continuing to grow within these communities because when we first put this project together, uh, you know, unfortunately there was a, there was a tsunami over in Asia right after project totals and stuff came in and mm-hmm. it wiped out a couple of the fiber um, suppliers over there. So the cost of fiber optics went through the roof. So in order to make our project still, ha- we had to scale back. And, and one of the, one of the things that we did um, when we scaled things back to try to cut costs is, is we went back to all these communities, all these communities, we originally were going to put a fiber drop to every home and every business. Well, now that the price of that fiber optic went up at that time, back in 2011, we had to go back and say, okay, we're going to commit to bringing a, a fiber drop to every home and business as long as they commit to taking a service from us. So trying to get in touch with all of those people and, and, you know, and, and making sure that they understand the process, um, it was a little difficult to do, but that's what we had to do. So along the way, there was, there was quite a few residential homes in some of our communities that maybe just didn't understand what was going on or you know, maybe the homes were empty. So we still struggle in some of those communities about trying to get, you know, trying to get new drops and stuff out to those homes, which um, has been very successful. We ran a lot of programs over the, the, the past two years just trying to get more drops out there and, and educate people on on uh, you know what it takes to do t- to get those drops there, but we're uh, we're we're plunging ahead. What is the what's the challenge there? Is it uh, the the distances involved? Is it the fact that um, you got to be able to schedule crews in advance? And you know what, what what's the actual headache? The the biggest thing is is because how new we we are, right? You know, so you know we didn't have the ability to put forth a bunch of extra capital. You know, two years, three years after after we got up and running. You know, one of the biggest things that, that I pride ourselves in is, you know, we're fully, we're fully self-funded. You know, we're nonprofit. You know, we're not subsidized by any of our member cities. Um, a lot of municipalities have been scrutinized over the years, you know, by some of the bigger companies, you know, saying, hey, you know, you don't have a place here in, in the market and, you know, you don't know what you're doing as far as providing broadband and, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, we, on the other hand, have been very, very successful, and we've kind of flown under the radar, and, and we've tried to do things smart and, 
and cost effectively. And, and for the first few years, you know, we, we really didn't have the ability to go out and, and spend a bunch of capital and, and put more lines in. So, you know, we were able to save a little bit of money and put a little money in the bank and, and then build a little bit up and, and then reinvest and, and start getting the cost of those drops at a more affordable price for, for subscribers. So that was kind of the biggest hurdle. And, and I think we've got to that point now where, you know, we can, we can effectively provide those services to those people that may have been missed at, at a more affordable cost. That all makes a, a lot of sense. I guess the the question in my mind is actually maybe even a little bit more technical. I mean, I'm I'm guessing that you you're not having a problem with like OLT ports. You probably had enough of those reserved, right? And and having uh, I'm guessing you used a, a passive network with splitters. Is the the challenge today then uh, drop length because you just have to go so far to get a home, or or you know what what makes it more difficult to connect customers? It's today? not so much it, you know it's not so much drop length. It 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 as it is to, you know, we have all the OLT ports, we have resources available to feed those customers. Um, you know, our biggest thing is, is contractor availability, believe it or not. You know, oh, yeah. with, with no, so I believe much it's building so much yeah. going on, <laughs> it, it is, it is extremely tough to be able to find contractor time, you know, to be able to come in, you know, because most contractors that are working on big projects, you know, that are, you know, they're putting in hundreds of drops a week where, you know, companies like us, we're, you know, we're not, you know, we we've got a majority of our communities built. So, you know, we're, we're just kind of coming back around and, and doing hit and miss, you know, where we've got a handful a week. It's just tough to find the contractors that, that are, you know, willing to leave those big jobs and come and do some of these small jobs. That That's what I was wondering about. So that's helpful. Um, have you, have you been tempted at all by the, uh, the state border to border fund to look at uh, some grant money to try to expand to some of the areas around you? We have. We, we, we definitely always keep it in mind every year. You know, we look at what's being served, you know, where is their demand. Unfortunately, because of because of our, I shouldn't say unfortunately, because it's really not unfortunate. It's a fortunate thing, but, um, you know, fortunate for the, the wireless company that we've been working with over the past several years. You know, other than the real rural areas, you know, in our area, we've I think we've really done a great job at, at being able to provide adequate speeds. Um, but we're always open to, you know, if there's opportunities for us to grow, we're, we're always interested in it. Who's the wireless company you're working with? The wireless company that we work with is Back 40 Wireless. They're locally owned right out of Jackson. Is there, um, is there anything else I should ask you? I'll, I'll just jump back to the Back 40 Wireless thing. I think that's one of the, that's one of the best partnerships that we have right now and, and uh, you know, being able to provide the best broadband that we can, you know, to, to the rural folks that, you know, that we have an obligation to provide good service to. Well, that's great. Um, Travis, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's been it's been great getting a better sense of, of what's going on, and um, I'm looking forward to finding an excuse to, to get down there and visit you and see what's going on. Hey, I'd love to have you down here, Chris. That was Christopher talking with General Manager from SMBS, Travis Thies. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules Podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. 
Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song, Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 396 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>